everyone to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type, and then we report back the results to each other and to you fine listeners as well. My name is Aaron Spears. And I'm Mike Went. This episode's challenge is Best Cinematography Nominees. So I think I already messed this up, Mike. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I uh, might have messed it up too, now that you've mentioned that, but yeah. (laughs) So I... Okay, here's my convoluted preface before we kind of get into how we're going to define these. So cinematography nominees, I was looking at the person, not necessarily the film. So everybody that I'm mentioning here is someone who is a cinematography nominee. um, But it did check the boxes because each one of these each one of these cinematographers has won and been nominated for best cinematography awards. Um, And obviously their films will come with that. But the films I'm highlighting from the cinematographer, I just, man, I just, it's like I started brainstorming and I lost the thread. <laughs> yeah. So the films that I picked weren't nominated for best cinematography, Cin- but cinematographers were either nominees and or winners. Does that make sense? Interesting. Okay. No, that is, that is a, a way that I did it. Not really. Um, I didn't go that route. I, I kind okay. of picked a mo- specific movie and then, with the cinematographer in mind or, you know, okay. highlighting them. But, but no, I, I like that. I think that's, that's cool. So like for our, our deep dive listeners, this is maybe going to be, you know, this is going to give a wide swath then I think. Yes, that is. Um, thank you. That's the politest way to <laughs> respond to me completely messing that up in a good way. Well, we'll see. And, and I guess I could also mention what, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but you know how they're nominated, but um I found a couple of interesting records, you know, because we have the topic and we start diving in. And this is probably where I lost my thread here because I was like, oh, let me see about the history of the cinematography category, blah, blah, blah. You know, as we usually do diving into our our given topics. I did not realize that for a long time up until 1944, my notes are correct. There were 10 nominees every year. Yeah. And, and some, I know it was broken down sometimes black and white in color. And even there seemed like some years there were, there might've been 10 in both categories of black and in white each, and color. I think, yeah, I, I think there were some, yeah, there was at least, um, yeah, I'm looking at just like 1941 because I didn't frame there's 10 black and white nominees and then one, two, three, four, six color nominees. And then as color becomes more and more prominent, it looks like, you know, that kind of expanded a little bit. I also was under the impression that the color was a separate category. I don't know until I would have guessed like maybe the fifties. Yeah. But color really didn't fully take over in the fifties. It still was a pretty, it's a pretty even split looking at some of these nominees. It made it all the way up to uh, Bonnie and Clyde, 1967. That was when it was only color photography. No. And I also noticed um, when looking at this, that quite, there were quite a few, um, films in color in the thirties, um, that I don't know. It just like the fact that there was the two different categories as early as like 1936 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of times in my, in my mind, and I know that there were color films that came out, but it's like, I almost feel like almost uh, every year until like 1945, everything was, (laughs) was black and white. white. Yeah, <laughs> except for Off with the Wind or and, and Wizard of Oz, right, you know? right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think I read a 
book a while ago. I think it was just on the film year 1939 because a lot of critics think of that as like the greatest year ever. Um, yeah. I disagree a little bit, but it's a great year. It's, I'm not doubting that at all. And they were referencing certain movies and I was like, oh, I've seen that movie. And then they talked about like the color photography and I was like, man, not in my brain. My memory is totally, yeah. <laughs> that is a black and white movie. And it's, it's not at all. <laughs> so that, that got, uh, yeah. I don't know. So that was kind of interesting. Like, oh, wow. Okay. There's some variation here on, um, on that. I did end up going back that far with, well, arguably with one of mine kind of does go back that far, but not none of the, none of my actual picks go back quite that far. So I, I, I mentioned my complete goofball <laughs> dropping the ball <laughs> way I got into this. What kind of parameter did you set up any parameters and what were yours for tackling cinematography nominees? Well, I wanted, I wanted to do something early, um, uh, like something that was released in the early a earlier age of, of mm-hmm. Hollywood. Um, I picked something that was, um, newer. And then I also picked something that was now, I mean, now is considered, I mean, 40, almost 45, 50 years old. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really have any strict perimeters, but there was like one main blind spot, uh, that, I really wanted to rectify with by having this episode and I'm glad that I did, um, you know, spoiler alert, but it, it was, um, so that, that's something that I'll talk about, you know, when we get there, but, <laughs> Oh, sure. Sure. You know, it's, um, there are, you know, of course there are directors that, you know, synonymous with cinema, you know, Kubrick Spielberg, you know, uh, name any, you know, uh, Altman, something like that. Yeah. But it is interesting when you have like a cinematographer, I think maybe for many years was maybe almost taken for granted slightly. And maybe now just recently in the last couple of years where, or I don't know, maybe because I'm just too in the weeds with like being in the film industry, but it's like where I'm talking with a lot of these up and coming people and they're not really talking about directors. They're talking about cinematographers that they really admire and interesting, you know, YouTube channels that they, that they've seen that cinematographers work. So, I mean, I I think it's kind of, we're living in this age now where people really, obviously the director, you know, gets a lot of credit, but you know, there is, I think a lot more stock taken into, who is the cinematographer of these specific movies? Um, even though there were giants among men, you know, back in the day who, yeah. who were started in this industry. But but I think now it's like their their names are getting out there a lot more, which I think is cool. That is really kind of fascinating to hear. And actually, I guess we should probably address right away. It, it is an industry. It is a field dominated by men up until fairly recent yeah. memory um uh Rachel Morrison being the first woman to receive a nomination so our yes. field for this particular watch challenge is pretty much a, a, a dude party um <laughs> yeah. so far yeah. as like we're, we're going with just nominees not working cinematographers but nominees uh folks that yeah. have been nominated at least once or hopefully have have won um but that said I, I think I maybe have a quick theory on that that you just mentioned about being getting into cinematography. I wonder if it's the digital versus cinema kind of fallout. Like there was such a focus on, do I shoot on film or do I shoot on digital? And there are certain um, cinematographers, one like my main pick actually, who's like, well, it depends on what the project is. 
But yeah. I think when you have the vocal advocates from, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, who actually shoots some of his own movies now to, you know, Nolan Tarantino, some of like the geekiest of the film geeks out there yes. that are committed to shooting on film. And then you also have the other side where it's like the Finchers of the world, who also has a, a new movie out right now that yep. have completely embraced like what digital can do as a tool. Um, yes. I don't know. Maybe that's really heightened the awareness of how are we shooting films, especially for up and coming like film students and, and potential, you know, filmmakers out there. Absolutely. I, I think with, with a lot of like up and coming people, you know, digital is going to be how they always start. There's a lot that try to dabble on film. So it's like, they then start to try to learn who were the, who were the top of the top who shot on film or who still shoot right. on film. It's right. uh, yeah. I, I just, I mean, I can talk about a lot of that stuff for, you know, for hours with some of these younger people. And it, it always makes me kind of proud when I hear that, <laughs> that they know who uh, some of these names are and everything. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, I, I think that's, you know, it's certainly one of the categories that I'm always excited when the, when the nominees come out because yeah um you know because a lot of times when i'm watching something you know, like say babylon last year i think i don't think it actually got a nomination for its cinematography but when i was watching i was like i was like oh man this is <laughs> this is it something you know yeah should have been but um but uh but yeah i mean you know deacons of course i think is you know he's got to be up there of this era to be being like the goat that, that most people would say, yeah, you know, so it's like, you know, names like that though. Yeah. I mean, I have seen more women uh, getting behind those rules and, and some of the things that shot around here. So, so no, it, hopefully it can fill up more with uh, female nominees as well. And, I don't know. There's just uh, like, this is just like one of those deep dive categories that, you know, could have a, probably a couple episodes on once again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we tend to do. Uh, <laughs> that's um, true. That's true. Or but, even like, you know, this should have been nominated, let alone like just the huge list yeah. of films that, especially when you have like 10 a year for so many, for so many decades, like it's a shitload of films out there to, uh, to find yes. and appreciate uh, as well. You are correct. Uh, Babylon got best costume, best original score, and best production design nominees yeah. or nominations. So should have got, uh, yeah, should have got. I think should have got some cinematography. Yeah. And I, I'm looking here. I would have probably swapped up, even though Deacons is the goat. I maybe would have swapped out Empire Light because I mean it's a good movie, oh, yeah. but uh, and it's well shot, but. <laughs> but apparently he'll he'll shoot uh you know a rabbit uh <laughs> like running out of his house and it'll get nominated so yeah <laughs> i mean there are those categories you know as we you know mentioned you know best best original score like there's just um john williams uh, plays yeah. the trumpet nominated yep there you go another nominee and you're like god damn it yeah <laughs> so yeah as as people age out too and or retire um man that's going to open up some slots for some new folks coming in uh nomination wise <laughs> yeah. as i was diving into kind of the history of it too i got distracted uh, uh a number of times looking at the history of, of cinematography nominees here one of them was kind of go down the rabbit hole of when television started to threaten the motion picture experience in the theaters, mm -hmm. how all like the cinema scopes and the cinerama and 
the Panavision, the Ultra Panavision 70, and like all these yeah. large scale formats that kind of came into it. I was really like, oh, I kind of want to pick one of these because I was trying to set out some parameters like, oh, I want to do a CinemaScope one or I want to do a black and white one or a color one. Like you said, you yeah. have to do two different categories. Um, do I want to do like they all have to have shot on film? Like that could be, um, yeah. which then of course is right down. I'm like, nope, that's just a future topic. Don't, don't worry about that right now. <laughs> like <laughs> shot on film in the last 10 years or something specific. I did only go in with one particular parameter and my all time favorite cinematographer is Haskell Wexler. So I wanted to pick one of his films. Mm-hmm. So that ended yeah. up being my only real like true, uh, parameter, um, which I guess I could just, I'll just do that one now since I just brought it up and kind of that's what one of my categories was. So I did go with Haskell Wexler for one of them. He was nominated five times and he won twice. And one of his, uh, one of his wins was actually for who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, 1966, one of the last years where it was, there was Mm -hmm. also the black and white option. So, you know, he got the, he got the statue for that one, but I, I find Haskell Wexler interesting in a number of ways, actually, but if you just look at his 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 credentials real quick, you've got one for the Cuckoo's Nest, The Conversation, Virginia Woolf, Heat of the Night, Maytuan, Thomas Crown Affair, Coming Home, Bound for Glory. Like there, there's a certain era where he was just kind of uh, uh, he was just like in peak form. Then he also shot and and directed Medium Cool, which I love. He worked with John Cassavetes. He did cinematography for Faces. Like it's just a kind of like wildly different genres of stuff too and different approaches to filming um which i also really really enjoy but the one so this is where i again i lost my thread here (laughs) the one i wanted to highlight (laughs) was actually a documentary that he directed and was cinematographer on called underground from 1976 which is one of my like i don't know like top five american documentaries i've ever seen he co-directed it with uh emil d'antonio who did in the year of the pig and was a very much a anti-war um, and documentarian activist in the late 60s and early 70s. But what he did with Underground was, um, so it's a portrait of the Weather Underground, who was an offshoot of the Students for Democratic Society um, that were like actually living underground and they were committed to overthrowing the United States government and did a bunch of bombings. And he was getting interviews with current members at the time who were technically like underground and like the FBI couldn't find them. And it he was so committed to his art, but also the way his art could infuse his own personal politics. And I really admire yeah. that about him so much so that the story goes, he was fired from the conversation, but I guess filmed enough of it that he got uh, ASC great. credit for it. And also one flew over the cuckoo's nest at the same time. Uh, not at the exact same time, but you know, that in that time period, 74, 75, um, because of his, you know, leftist politics and he was in the, he was working on underground at the time. So it's like, as he's doing these ones that are celebrated classics of American, you know, new Hollywood cinema, um, kind of this forgotten documentary he worked on called underground, not worked on, like created, co-created has a really fascinating style. And as you watch it, it's usually available on canopy as far as I know, um, or, you know, find some physical media folks. Um, it's really worth watching cause it's a total time capsule documentary, but it's also one where you kind of feel like you're not supposed to be watching it. Like it has like kind of, he gives it the visual look is kind of like this dangerous vibe. Like, Oh shit. Like these people are on the lamb, like they're living underground and all that. And even the tagline for it is the FBI doesn't want you to see this film, (laughs) which I was like, my God, as soon as you tell somebody they can't read a book or they can't see something, you're like, well, let me see it. Um, it, it really, um, it it really entices you. So I kind of wanted to highlight that one, a, a storied career that Haskell Wexler had, but, one that doesn't get quite as much love is uh, Underground from 1976. 
Yeah, there, that you know, this is one. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned him because this was one thing I forgot to. I wanted to bring up in the first part of our uh, pod was just because so many of the I think the um, renowned cinematographers are not American. Uh, so the fact that Haxel Wex, you know, is is actually one of the the actual Americans who did that because yeah. normal like say the people I'm going to be uh, naming right now from my my uh, from my first um, honorable mention, you know, it, a lot of times like they're Spanish speaking or you know from the Netherlands or French or something like that. So yeah, um, I think it's. I mean, not that there's not talented American cinematographers, but I think like the top of the top usually are. Um, I yeah, Europe. you're right. I I hadn't really thought about that, but um, yeah, he's the only one on my list who is uh, American, born in the USA, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, they're all yeah. I never really thought about that from a cinematographer point of view. I wonder because hmm. usually it cracks like, a bit open in my brain there that like there's like a different approach to art and other cultures and depending on how much time you were born and raised in some other culture yeah. um yeah that could completely infuse like your your perspective on a visual art yeah well it's like i i used to be obsessed with the makings of on um, dvds back when they really like put good care into special features onto yeah. dvds and if they would always interview the cinematographer, they all, uh, yes, the, the film, we took it this, uh, you know, like they always have some kind yeah. of accent. Uh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying my first uh, honorable mention. I guess I'll go into the format that you did it was, um, okay. I'm going to say uh, Nestor Alamendros, um, who shot uh, – Days of Heaven, uh, 1978, uh, the uh, film by Terrence Malick. Uh, so he um, won for that film, but he was also nominated three other times. Um, and Days of Heaven is um, just uh, one of those, uh, you know, it's one of those films like where you might see stills or you might see a, a a trailer you might think that looks really really boring uh, or slow <laughs> um uh, but um it's not actually it you know it's kind of a melodrama it's a uh basically a um a romantic triangle uh set in the the dust bowl and uh the way how uh mr um uh mr alamendros uh shot this was pretty pretty incredible where using a lot of um what's called the magic hour so it's like essentially uh before you're gonna get um the uh sundown and sometimes i mean just sounding from what it sounds like what malik would would sometimes do is like you know they would they may they may only shoot a couple couple hours a day just so they can get these shots and everything um, he died relatively young. I think he died like in 92 or something like that um, is what it said. But um, this is, uh, I mean, Days of Heaven is a beautiful film. Um, I mean, it's just, it's so gorgeous to look at. Some of these scenes that they got at at night, I'm, you know, I'm like, what light did they use? And it probably <laughs> was literally just the, the magic hour of the sun. And, uh, yeah. the, I mean, just to show that ability, 
you know, really is good. And, you know, Richard Gere's great in the film. And actually, the young actress who's in the film, the young actress, uh, Linda Manns, uh, who she also, she died recently, but um, she was, you know, incredible um, in her, pretty much her screen debut in that movie. Uh, she's kind of the, um, she's the narrator of the film, but uh, just gorgeous, gorgeously uh, shot movie. I remember the first time I saw that movie, it was one of those first films where, I mean, I saw it like on, you know, VHS, like either maybe right before going to college or probably more like likely in college and yeah. like really being aware, like, how do you make it look like this? Yeah. Um, so it is a really great example cinematography wise of like what you can, and obviously with film, it's the set, it's, you know, 70, 78 um, so there's no, there's no digital insight right there for, for production. And luckily Terrence Malick is not known for having dialogue heavy movies, but I, I do remember at times going like, Oh, I, I think I missed a bit of dialogue. Cause like, I'm just watching it. Like it, it yeah. just, it grabs the visuals, grab you so, so strongly, um, that you can kind of just get lost. And it's literally one of those, it's kind of a cliche thing to say when you're celebrating cinematography, but like you could pause it almost at any moment and be like, make me a poster of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, Malik took uh, basically 20 years off, you know, in between movies after shooting that one. And so I, I wonder if like, I don't know, I mean, we don't know a lot about Malik because like he doesn't really give a lot of interviews and um, he's kind for a long time. It's like there was only like one stock fi- picture of him, like oh, <laughs> if yeah, yeah. you uh, uh, for a long time, it was like the same one, I think maybe from the Thin Red Line set, which was the, that was his follow-up movie, but that movie also gorgeously shot. I think yeah. um, uh, the cinematographer, I think was John Tull, who is a, a native Clevelander. Uh, I think he won for Bravehearts, uh, but, but anyway, um, yeah, Malik just, you know, became known for having these like visual movies, I think. And, and obviously Days of oh, yeah. kind of bar for him yeah uh i was just noting real briefly here on the the wikipedia entry for days of heaven the film was scored by ennio morricone no slouch oh, wow. in the composition department there yeah and photographed by nestor almendros and haskell wexler right yes so <laughs> yeah i forgot that, yeah, I forgot that that yeah haskell like um i think was he was like, at least like supervisor or something like he he helped shape the look of that yeah uh, it's saying that, yeah, Alamandros approached cinematographer Wexler to complete the film because the production was running so late. Ah, so, um, yeah. So, yeah, got a little like, I mean, yeah, if you want to pick somebody to <laughs> carry, the, <laughs> carry the baton the rest of the way, I mean, you can't go yeah. wrong with uh, with Wexler. So, wow, that's crazy. All right. Yeah. We don't even plan this ahead of time, folks. It just naturally happens exactly. this way sometimes. sometimes it happens. <laughs> <laughs> My next kind of my next honorable mention one, he was almost going to be my main pick um, because the guy has such a storied career. um, And that is James Wong Howe. He was born in China. I forget the name of the town, but moved here when he was five. So technically, that's what I'm saying. Like my other two (laughs) are like he's essentially when you're five years old. I mean, come on. I don't remember anything from before I was five, really. So like, you know, technically born in China, but, you know, raised and uh, and working in uh in america and in hollywood looking up a little bit of his bio too he was a uh professional boxer like as a teenager going into his 20s 
and then be, began a career in film um, originally as an assistant to Cecil B. DeMille. So that also wow. tells you what time period we're dealing <laughs> with here. <laughs> um, he had 10 nominations over his career for Best Cinematography. He won twice. One was for The Rose Tattoo and one was for HUD, which I think is a little bit more remembered than The Rose Tattoo. It just really... Sure. 130 plus films and he literally was like shooting films in the silent era and it, he went all the way up to filming funny lady in 1975 like wow this, i gotta find a biography or something on this guy because like the the amount of yeah. hollywood history he he was part of and around for um and also shooting that many movies um he was a pioneer what, what does it say with uh with wide angle lenses low-key lighting deep focus and I read a couple of things about how he was potentially credited as inventing the crab dolly, which I was going to ask you about. Cause I'm not, I don't know what that one is. Oh, okay. Well, I mean the, the dolly. Okay. So like it, yeah, it, it has like a hydraulic to it. Um, so it's like, you know, the dolly of course is like the movement, but then there's like the, there's a hydraulic arm so you can kind of achieve it to go up if you want to get like achieve certain shots. So oh, that is, okay, okay. that's a very significant thing. <laughs> yeah. But maybe it's just not real. It's not just, it's not usually called crab anymore. I think it's, Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so something like that. Yeah. He wasn't like he, he technically invented it, but he pioneered the use of it, I guess, and bringing it into, into film production. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, if you've seen more than five classic black and white films from the 30s to the 60s, you've probably seen one of his movies. Yeah. And the one I wanted to highlight, which is another one of those movies that I remember when I when I first saw it, I was like, the look of it was just so unique. Um, and that is the movie that he shot for John Frankenheimer called Seconds from 1966. Um, okay. It also ties in with like yeah. the late 60s, early 70s paranoia secret organizations offering wealthy people a second chance at life. Um, uh, well, I'll leave it at that. It's a paranoid thriller from the late sixties. <laughs> that, that is, is one of Frank, I think it's one of Frankenheimer's best. And it is one of those that, um, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to inadvertently spoil anything about the movie, but you got uh, rock Hudson who, if you picture rock Hudson in the sixties, this is also an era. This is an era where Hollywood is transitioning to, you know, basically, you know, we're, we're like a minute away from, you know, Bonnie and Clyde and easy rider and the graduate yeah, and yeah. all that stuff. And, you know, rock Hudson is got, you know, a storied career by this point with his work with Douglas Sirk, his work with, um, totally forgetting the musical, uh, Doris day, like, Oh yeah. And yeah. You can see him, you, you couldn't at the time then necessarily see him doing like this gritty um, kind of psychological, psychological horror slash science fiction movie. And um, um, he just nails it. it it's so, so yeah. good. The performance is great. The music is great. Um, early Jerry Goldsmith score, I believe. And then James Wong, how the way he's filming it, it's, it's the approach that I think is really the way to go when you're a cinematographer. It's like, how should I shoot this story? Like they don't all need to look alike. And he clearly as a, a pioneer in like low key lighting and the, the the dolly work we mentioned and also deep focus photography when you're in some of the corridors and the areas that, that this film takes place in. Um, yeah. He makes it feel oppressive when he's oppressive. He makes it feel kind of paranoid somehow still with just the image. Um, and it's just it doesn't look like I mean, I haven't watched all 130 plus of his movies, but it didn't look like any of the other movies of his that I knew that he had made. 
um, or yeah. had shot for people. So I was like, yeah, that is, that is a fascinating movie. fascinating. Like that doesn't, doesn't look anything like funny face or funny lady. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, or the old man in the sea from 58 that he filmed. Like it's, it's such a unique and specific look to a film. I just remember that sticking with me. Like I knew who Frankenheimer was when I watched it, but I was like, who filmed this? This is <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so my next uh, honorable mention is um, is somebody who is probably you know I I look up to a lot in the cinematography world and um, he's mostly known for being Steven Spielberg's uh, cinematographer uh, Janusz Kaminski uh, is the person that I'm going to yeah. uh, cite here, but. There was one of his nominations for a film that looks completely different than anything that he ever shot for Steven Spielberg. And it probably because it was for another uh, filmmaker, uh, Julian Schnabel. Uh, and it's called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Uh, so he this came out. In, yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It, because it's complete like. I yeah. think some of the the decisions that he made, uh, or you know, that him and and Julian Schnabel made, I don't think. I mean, not this is no disrespect to Spielberg, who I hold in such. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, goat. You know, one of the one of the best yeah. <laughs> of all time. But I think just um, this movie, if you've never seen it, and right now it's it's part. It's one of those movies that. Unfortunately, the library of um, films that were released by Miramax seem to be there's some of them that are kind of in this weird um, purgatory, <laughs> I would say, yeah. uh, because some of Miramax Miramax's library, I believe, is now owned by Paramount Pictures and, uh, you know, just, you know, the fallout of Miramax basically kind of like going bankrupt for a little bit and now they're they're back uh they are one of the distributors for um the holdovers um but um so it may it might be one of those harder ones to find maybe on it might only be on digital or on um physical media which um i i'm a proud owner <laughs> of this movie but uh it's basically about um, it's it's based on a true story. Uh, Jean Dominique Babi. Um, he was a kind of a uh, you know like this everyman, um, very rich, wealthy man. And um, you know when he's taking a drive along the countryside one day, he has a massive stroke. Um, and then the movie kind of for the almost for the rest of the runtime, pretty much is from his POV. Um, you know, he definitely, um, as like, he tries to, uh, reconnect, uh, you know, his brain with his body and everything. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's according to the Wikipedia here, it's called, it was called locked in syndrome, but, um, this, the, the techniques that this movie did to, in order to achieve that, um, you know, just all these shots from the eyes, um, and, you know, it's kind of like mimicking, you know, eyes opening for the first time and seeing things and all these dream sequences that, that are kind of going through his brain are just shot in this really beautifully. Um, and not to disrespect any of his work that he did Spielberg. I mean, obviously he won for Schindler's list. He won for saving private Ryan. So he did that, 
the opening scene on um, D-Day, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. Ryan knows what he's doing with the camera. And even I thought a couple of years ago, the way how he shot West Side Story, the, the remake was oh, yeah, really yeah. Uh, innovative. And even um, even though I'm not the biggest fan of War Horse as, as a movie, I, I thought it was kind of dry, but the cinematography was gorgeous. Um, I mean, he is really good at what he does, but it's like if you were to, if it, it's almost like a, if you're like um, going to a, a jail and you have to pick out who shot Diving Bell the Butterfly, like on a, uh, uh, you know, like on a murderer's row or something like that, I don't think anybody would think that was Giannis Kaminsky. On that note, um, also shot Cool as Ice. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I think that was one of his first movies. And uh, I mean, you got to start I mean, somewhere and uh, why not some slow motion uh, motorcycles with vanilla ice on it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I um, mean, once again, I don't know what the streaming situation is like for some of these uh, these Miramax did, movies. But uh, yeah, I did find this one. If you have a library card, it is currently available to stream on Hoopla. Ah, okay. The, Very good. Uh, not, it's not canopy level like known, but um, Hoopla sure. is how stuff does rotate in and out. So it may not be there at the time you're hearing this if it's, you know, months after this episode comes out. But um, it is on Hoopla. Absolutely. Oh, my God. You have to see this movie if you haven't seen it. I feel like this one may yeah. be one of those. You mentioned before, like the 2000s movies that are just sort of like lost to the memory, memory hole. Yes. And I think this is one of them because it, it played. It was early on when I was working at the art house and it played there. And it just like, it won over everybody that saw it. We're just like, oh yeah. my God, you have to see this movie. And I remember several people were like, regulars were like, oh, it sounds depressing. He's like blinking his memoir while paralyzed. And I was like, no, like it's one of those, like the human spirit and the power of the mind. And uh, yes, it, yeah, it's a wow kind of experience. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful movie. Very, very uniquely shot that I wouldn't have. Um, yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I would not have. I would not have guessed Janusz Kaminski was um, paired up with Julian Schnabel for that one, but man, I'm glad yeah. he is because it looks amazing. So we are now at our uh, main picks, Mike, uh, for this yeah. one. And uh, I'm really feeling like I, <laughs> I went a little just too far off the beaten track with. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. We adapt. It's good. <laughs> I, we do. We do. Yeah. And you know, well, fuck it. It's our show. We can do whatever we want. But I think in this particular case, I will be vindicated in the movie that I picked um, because also I just, I really wanted to see it in the theater uh, now twice. I want to talk about the cinematographer uh, Rodrigo Prieto. Oh, I'm yes. Probably mispronouncing. Um, I'm not great <laughs> with the, uh, not really great with the, uh, with the accented names uh, born in Mexico city and has worked with like, it's just the who's who of, of, of directors Currently, the movie that he shot that is in theaters is Killers of the Flower Moon. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You've made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? That's my weakness. <laughs> well, we mix these families together, and that state money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. 
Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, gigantic Scorsese fan, and he has worked with Scorsese on a number of occasions. But that's not all he shot this year. He also shot Barbie, <laughs> which is uh, about as opposite, I could think, of a visual palette yeah. as you could get from <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon and like the plastic pink and white world of Barbie. And I think that just speaks to like the the versatility of a fantastic cinematographer who takes a look at the current project and says, okay, what are we doing to film this particular project. Um, yeah. Three-time nominee. I'm hoping for a fourth, maybe even a dual nominee this year. Maybe get a Barbie I, and Killers of Flower Moon combo. I can see that, definitely. I, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, here's hoping he's like that guy now that the Academy is like. He shot, you know, his, you know, neighbor going to get the mail nomination kind of thing. <laughs> um, so he has uh, been nominated for Brokeback Mountain, uh, Silence, uh, another Martin Scorsese one, and The Irishman, previous Martin Scorsese one. And he's he's on record talking about how he chooses film, shooting on film or shooting on digital video based on the fi- not even just the film, but a particular scene or even just a sequence. Um, there's a sequence early on in Killers of the Flower Moon that I, I heard an interview with Scorsese where he was talking about he shot it with an old hand cranked or he had the film shot. He had that sequence shot right at the beginning when it's kind of giving you like the history of the Osage people and and whatnot. Yes. And it was a hand cranked camera. I think he said from like 1916 that someone mm. had gifted Scorsese. So I guess at some point Prieto was like, well, let's film with that. And that'll be great for this scene. <laughs> said the guy who just filmed Barbie. Um, <laughs> he's worked with, uh, he's worked with Alejandro, Galanz- uh, Alejandro Gonzalez, Signorito, Spike Lee, Curtis Hansen, Julie Taymor, Oliver Stone, Ang Lee, Al Moldovar, uh, Kevin McDonald, Cameron Crowe, Ben Affleck, Greta Gerwig, Martin Scott. Like, it's just like, it's just the who's who of people that are, that are contemporary movies. And if you go through the actual movie list, you're like, holy, holy shit. Like everything, I think Amores Peros from 2000 is kind of like the one that really like kind of hit the international scene. Yes. Um, and then he broke out in there and for the most part has, has shot um, kind of within the, the, the bounds of Hollywood since then. But it's like, every kind of genre you can think of, maybe not documentary. That might be the only one, but I I couldn't speak to that uh, entirely just to make it even more like, wow, for his career. He's been cinematographer on three Taylor Swift music videos (laughs) as well. So I'm like, Oh, Oh my God. Um, some work in television. I think he went with Scorsese to HBO. I think it was, um, vinyl, which is, I don't think is streaming anywhere. Um, speaking yeah. of streaming problems, even when HBO owns something, but it just, it, it just floored me. It's one of those where I was like, if you're tied to Martin Scorsese, I just assume you're getting Oscar love. And then you're like, no, Martin Scorsese won that one time for the departed. Um, <laughs> even though he's got one of the most storied, uh, you know, careers in modern Hollywood. Um, but I, I, I'm, so he's been nominated, uh, Rodrigo Pietro has been nominated three times. I'm hoping for fourth and maybe a fifth and an actual win this year. So I'm actually, I'm surprised that he hasn't won yet. Um, to be honest, uh, when you, when you, uh, mentioned what he shot, but I, yeah, I, I highly think he will be nominated at least for killers of the flower moon and that, 
I think that sequence with the with the fire alone, uh, when the when the house is on fire and you can kind oh, of yeah, see yeah. like the the flames and everything, yeah, uh, or like the just the remnants of the flames and. I, yeah. I think that was just beautifully done. And uh, uh, maybe his strongest uh, competition is from a cinematographer whose name I love to sometimes just say, like, instead of swearing, I like to say Hoyt van Hoytme. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who shot uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, but yeah. uh, <laughs> stiff, stiff competition this year for sure. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, and that's like he's a go to now for for uh, Mr. Nolan and for uh, even uh, Jordan Peele. So, uh, oh, yeah, but yeah, right. I, those two can du- duke it out and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, but, but I'm thinking I- I'm leaning towards Rodrigo, even though Oppenheimer was pretty amazingly filmed. <laughs> well, and you know, the Nolan commitment to shooting on film as well. So it, it, yeah. I feel like it adds, at least in my mind, that a little bit extra of like pizzazz of like, Ooh, and he did it the old fashioned way, like the way it was, you know, invented to be. Yeah. Um, wait, I am totally drawing a blank. Now I remember reading about it. I think Kills of Flower Moon is like some film, some vi- digital video, right? It, I think it might be a combo. Cause like Marty's not like, even though he probably wants to only shoot on film, but I, I know like, there's some movies he shot digitally, so he's probably okay with it. Because I think Irishman was with all those special effects that they had to do. Wow. Yeah. Oh man, his his uh, his filmography. I read off, I guess, filmmakers that he worked with rather than filmography. But I mean, take your pick. Yeah. Any of those are just Argo. spectacular oh, ones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, passengers. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I mean, so. I actually did read an interview with him about shooting passengers and he was talking about how that's when you go digital because it's a futuristic, it's in a spaceship. You don't want to have a speck of grain anywhere because it has to be sleek. And I was like, yeah, that's how you shoot that movie. Is it a great movie? No, but that's how you shoot that particular movie. And I, I just, I love that approach where it's like, what's the right tool for what we're doing here? Yeah, absolutely. Like I would say, you know, Barbie's the same way. Like, do you need to see the grain of 35 millimeter on Barbie? No, you want it to be clean, just plastic. Like maybe when you come into the real world a little bit in that movie, but like, no, that is a complete digital um, environment. That's, that's clearly the right choice for that kind of movie. So, um, all right. Well, what did you, what, what's your pick, Mike? So mine, um, this was a cinematic blind spot. And um, uh, part of me is happy to have watched it just because, um, it is my grandfather's favorite movie of all time, uh, as oh, he's nice. told me many times. And I'm sure I could have easily sat and watched it with him, but, uh, I think I was maybe just a younger, when I was younger, I was just like, Oh, it's black and white. It's boring. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, so I'm going with, uh, the cinematographer was Arthur C. Miller and this is from 1941. It's How Green Was My Valley. Walter Pidgeon has his most distinguished role as Mr. Griffith, the minister who sacrifices his great love for Maureen O'Hara as Anne Horrid, the Welsh girl whose beauty sets songs swelling in men's throats, Anna Lee as the lovely and lovable Bronwyn, Donald Crisp as Mr. Morgan, the gentle tyrant of a father. John Loder as Ianto, Sarah Allgood as Mrs. Morgan, Barry Fitzgerald as Sepharatha, 
Patrick Knowles as Ivor. The world-famed Welsh singers. And the brilliant new young star master Roddy McDowell, whose inspired performance as Hugh will endear him to everyone. Which is a movie that maybe for better, for worse, is sometimes somewhat... Not maligned, but it is sometimes looked down upon because it beat Citizen Kane at the Oscars that year for Best Picture and for Cinematography, Um, which, um, I mean, Citizen Kane, of course, is an amazing film. I I revisit it at least once a year, and the the cinematography is quite good in that movie. But but this one – so Arthur C. Miller – um, was one of the founders of the ASC, and um, he was nominated six times, won three times uh, Academy Award. And How Green Is My Valley is is a story that's set in Wales. Um, they actually shot it in Los Angeles. They basically uh, Fox um, paid the money uh, to uh, to build it in the San Fernando Valley. This uh, this giant set it's gorgeous. I mean, beautiful set, Um, you know, and it's basically about a family that lives in a mining town and, you know, you, you follow them through the trials and tribulations of, you know, what's happening. Cause uh, there, there's definitely times where there, there's actually a strike kind of like just how Hollywood was on strike uh, amongst the mine workers They're you know, they're kind of arguing that, you know, why am I going to, bust my hump and I'm only getting half a shilling or something like that. And, and the movie is, is very emotional and uh, features really good performances, uh, which um, actually the, um, the, the guy who played the father, Donald Crisp, won uh, best supporting actor, Maureen O'Hara has, um, um, you know, she, she has some really good scenes in this. Um, and uh, just the way how, um, how the cinematographer, how Arthur C. Miller and John Ford um, mounted some of these scenes, especially when they're in the mine, uh, in the mines. It's just like just really unforgettable shots in this movie. Uh, there's also, you know, you're getting a lot of the passage of seasons in this movie too. So like there's some really good scenes and um, that are in the snow and, um, so I can completely understand why the Academy would have went for it. Um, maybe more so than Citizen Kane, which was, um, you know, by all accounts, like in a you know, a great film, but kind of somewhat cold in, in a way um, that, uh, that I could see somebody being like, well, what, you know, what was the point of that? <laughs> um, even though I, I fully agree. It's a, it's a great movie. But um, but yeah, this this uh, Arthur C. Miller also shot um, some other films, notably. Uh, let's see, he won for this one a movie, The Song of Bernadette, in nineteen forty four, which looks pretty uh, eye popping, and then Anna in the King of Siam in forty seven, um, but uh, long career. And uh, even shot the little princess, the original little princess. And, um, you know, he, I mean, almost looks like he had like maybe 80 films or so. Um, and uh, died in 
you know, eh, 75, you know, it's a pretty, pretty nice life. But, um, you know, the fact that he was one of the co-founders of the ASC, I think oh, is, yeah. a, is a really um, significant thing. And um, I'm glad that I, I finally seen this movie and um, yeah, I mean, I can see why it's beloved by, you know, say somebody like my grandfather. <laughs> yeah. That one um, I f- just watched for the first time, I think like last year as well. And I didn't look up like where it was filmed. I was kind of shocked when you just described that it wasn't shot in, in Iron- like Wales. Like it, it, it yeah. it's, I mean, as a location guy yourself, like it is the perfect location they found then. Cause I was like, yeah, it's Wales. Sure. The only yeah. kind of gripe I had at the time watching it was like, there's a color in the title and there was color film available. Yeah. And I, some of the scenes I'm like, I kind of want to see the color to like the, there's the rolling valleys and some of the nature to it, yeah. especially the contrast of like the mining and the nature. I would have liked some color there. It's fine. It's not, nothing against the film itself. Cause you know, they just, it's not how it was made, but yeah, I, you know, I'm curious maybe because, because it was a built set, um, mm-hmm. maybe by shooting it in black and white, it could, it could hide any, um, anything where people would think it was fake or something like that, even though oh, that could be, yeah, it's a good way to kind of, yeah, <laughs> kinda hide it in there. That's true. Yeah. Um, another, I was another career that goes all the way back to the silent era as well. His first film, the perils of Pauline 1914. So yeah. another, uh, you know, 50, 40 plus years in the business. Yeah. So uh, our official watch challenge uh, picks for cinematography nominees are Rodrigo Prieto, um, who shot Killers of the Flower Moon in, in this year, and Arthur, Arthur C. Miller, uh, How Green Was My Valley, 1941. Aaron, what challenge do we have in front of us for next time? For next time, uh, you know, it's getting towards uh the thanksgiving holiday the end of november here and they're just there really isn't a theme of thanksgiving that we could think of to like tie in with that one but i thought one of the thing one of the genres i've always wanted to look at uh, in the life of the show has been heist films i think that's kind mm. of a great that's a great genre to like watch with some folks um yes. together and watch uh watch a heist film the the crowd reaction to some of those movies the best of those movies in my opinion is is half the fun of watching uh, a great heist film so Next challenge is going to be heist films. Absolutely. If you'd like to suggest a topic or genre you'd like cover on a future show, hit us up on Instagram at Watch Challenge Podcast or email us at watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or the links in the show notes. Indeed. And until next time, folks, rate and review the show in whatever app you are using to listen to us right now, and we will see you with the next challenge. Bye. Bye.